Hello again, Charles Lego here, host of the Rancho Cordova podcast. On today's episode, we speak to Rancho Cordova Mayor Donald Terry, where we have an in-depth conversation about all things Rancho Cordova. But even if you're housing homeless people in affordable housing, yeah. the reality is, is they're your residents anyway. Exactly. So would you rather have them in an apartment right. with a bathroom and a shower right. And, right. and a phone? Right. Or would you rather them be in your front yard? Right. Right. Or at Walmart right. in the parking lot or wherever else? I would argue that you want them in a unit. So we want to house these people. We discussed crime, people experiencing homelessness, and we even had some fun along the way. So please enjoy the show. And now to Mayor Donald Terry. From the offices of the California Capitol Film Office, we bring you the Rancho Cordova All-American City Podcast, a podcast that brings you all things Rancho Cordova. We get up close and personal with Meet City Hall segment, where we talk in depth with the hardworking individuals who make the city tick as well as the city leaders who make critical decisions that affect everyone in the community. We meet business leaders and business owners, getting insight into the economic health of the city and take an in-depth look at the many year-round events brought to you by Cordova Community Council, many of them free. Join us for our weekly look at Rancho Cordova. What is the state of the city, Rancho Cordova, today? the 1st of September, 2022? Well, I, you know, we're a, a very strong city. I think when you compare us, just looking financially, uh, comparing us to other communities around the, the region, um, you know, one of the struggles that a lot of local governments have is paying for, for retirement, for retirees um, and pension obligations. Um, I believe we have four you know, as a 19-year-old city, we don't have a lot of the overhangs of the legacy costs of doing of being a, a government for the last 50 or 100 years. Um, and so it allows us to invest more in public safety and invest more in a lot of other really exciting, cool public projects. And the pensions are just for city hall staff, not for the fire department and the police. Well, in theory, yeah, they are for all local governments. But as a 19-year-old city, there was already a park district here. There's already a, right. a, a metro fire district right. here. Uh, we contract our services still to the right. to the county sheriff's right. department, and so really, it's just our core city staff. Exactly. You know, we're a city of you know eighty five thousand people or eighty one thousand people, um, and we have about a hundred employees. A right. lot of what we do is contract with yeah. with businesses and other government services. So before we get into more city matters and the work you and the city council are doing to make the city the best it can be, and I have many more questions about that. I think our listeners would like to get you, uh, um, get to know you a little better. So let's start off with where were you born and tell us about your early life. So my parents lived in Clovis, California. I was born in Fresno. Uh, before I turned one year old, uh, our family moved to Santa Cruz, actually into the Santa Cruz Hills and the Boulder Creek and Capitol and some other areas there over the next few years. Uh, grew up there for the most part. Uh, went to Soquel High, which is right by Capitola. Um, lived for the most part, I say, I grew up in Santa Cruz. I grew up in Scotts Valley, which is the last town before you hit Santa Cruz. Um, was there through high school and community college. And then um, 
moved to go to UC Davis. Um, moved to the, that's how I ended up in this region. Right. Um, after graduation. Well, that, actually, let's stop. So tell us about your parents. Sure. So who were they? What did they do? And all that kind of stuff. So my parents, my my father uh, still lives in Santa Cruz with my brother. Right. Uh, my mom passed away a few years ago. Uh, they were both in sales my whole life. Um, my mom had a lot of health issues. Uh, there's a kidney disease, a hereditary kidney disease that runs in my family mm-hmm. that affects my mom. My mom had three kidney transplants. My aunt wow. had one. My brother has one right three now. Three kidney transplants? Three, yeah, before wow. she passed. Um, it, it was complications of that disease is right, what right. killed my grandmother, too. Wow. Um, luckily, I don't have it. Really fortunate. But um, my, my parents worked really hard to keep us as, you know, a, a middle-class family growing up, but they still... Um, struggled whenever the economy would tend to struggle. Right. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons I was really motivated to graduate from college and, um, you know, make sure that I had a, w- was in a, a stable career that was resilient through tough times in the economy. You have siblings? I have one brother. Yeah. yeah uh, older brother. He lives in Santa Cruz with my, with my right. father. He's a butcher for Safeway. He's been doing that same job since he got out of high school. Right. So you went through high school in the Santa Cruz area. Then you went to UC Davis. Mm-hmm. So did you have a plan when you went to UC Davis? Uh, not to run for student government anymore. So I was no. vice president of my student senate at my community college. When I got to Davis, um, focused a lot more on internships, worked in the Capitol for my last year in school. Um, that was probably the plan was really to keep working in the Capitol and get a legislative job and help write okay. bills and stuff like that. And the economy just tanked and they recalled a governor. And all of a sudden I found myself in banking and years later was doing community relations for right. and managing one of the largest corporate foundations right. in the region. So you did plan on gov- on government work at an early age? Yeah, I always I, I always ha- I think had the bug. Uh, I, I always kind of joke that if I didn't run for office, I'd be watching way too much C-SPAN. So this right. is a little bit more productive for me, I think. So when someone is young, where does the bug for to work in, in government come from, do you think? Were you into politics as a young person? Into I was really interested. It was probably eighth grade. That, that's really where you, in most curriculums across California, at least, that's where you study U.S. Right. government and right. you start to learn about the Constitution. And um, that, that was probably where it began. Um, I'm a big movie buff. My first job was was a video store clerk, um, and I like a lot of those old patriotic movies. Mr. Smith goes to Washington right. and other stuff. Right, and, right. Um, the candidate. So, the, so I've always enjoyed it. Always been intrigued with politics. Yeah. And how was college? Were you good? Were you a good student? I was a better college student than I was a high school student for sure. Um, when I was studying things that I really enjoyed, it was a lot easier, I think, for me. Um, but yeah, I, I I probably didn't realize I was a good student until I got to college. Right. I, I never felt like a good and student. You, until you liked I, college? You liked being at Loved college, yeah. yeah. It, it, as somebody who grew up with attention deficit disorder, I really struggled in public schools um, until I learned a lot of, of the coping mechanisms and things that I needed to, to do to make sure that I don't make the same kinds of mistakes I made as, as a teenager. Right. And what did you leave college with? I have a degree in political science with a minor in communications, ma- mainly in media relations. Okay. And once you left, what was your career path when you left college? I worked in banking, uh, kind of the latter part of, of college as well. Um, and then having not been able to kind of stay in the capital because it, it was just a bad time in the economy and there weren't a lot of openings, uh, ended up in banking and was a banker doing business banking and consumer banking for a, a large national bank and then uh, moved into what's called the Community Reinvest- Reinvestment Act Department. And so I handled um, 
affordable housing, economic right. development investments for the bank. And we're actually going to talk about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So who did you work for at the Capitol? For a particular senator or? I worked for a few when I was in Santa Cruz. I interned for the congressman down there and the, and the speaker pro tem, who was the state assembly member there. Okay. A guy named Fred Keeley and then um, Sam Farr was the congressman. Uh, in the Capitol, I worked for Kevin Shelley, who was a uh, San Francisco assemblyman. Uh, he got elected Secretary of State, although um, I didn't work for him at the Secretary of State's office. And um, he only – he didn't actually finish out his term. He ended up resigning before the end of it. Okay. Yeah. And then – so what is it that actually got you involved in city politics as opposed to politics in general? Um, well, my start in politics was on the Sacramento City School Board. So um, Sac City Unified – uh, it's a seven. It's a seven-member uh, school board, and they had always been elected at large. And then they decided at one point to to be elected by district. And where I lived, which was a little bit of the city of Sacramento, the unincorporated area in between Ranch Cordova and Sacramento, and then a little bit of Ranch Cordova. Um, so I ran for that seat and and won it back in two thousand eight. Um, mainly, I ran um, because there had been some uh, very anti-diversity candidates, I guess is the best way to put it, a very anti-LGBT um, candidate, candidate that, that ran out where I lived um, and is somebody that's, you know, very pro-LGBT and, and, and an ally of that community. Um, I kind of felt the duty to, to make sure that somebody like that wouldn't get on our school board. Right. Um, so I got elected four years later. My good friend, Ken Cooley, decided to run for assembly, and uh, I decided to run to replace him on the city council. Oh, okay. So yeah. you replaced Ken Cooley? I did. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And how long have you worked in city politics now? Um, this is my 10th year on the council. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to touch on some of your uh, achievements on the yeah. council, which I had no idea how many there were, things that interest me. I've also read that you were a very dedicated community volunteer, and you've given a lot of time, of talent and expertise, and you've supported various organizations in the region. Can you tell us about some of those organizations that you volunteered with? And as a follow-up, why is volunteering, in your opinion, so important? And what personal satisfaction does it bring to those that volunteer with their time? So, so the, I've volunteered or been on the board of a lot of different nonprofits in the region. Um, some as an elected official, some as a you know philanthropic charity officer for large corporations in the region, um, served as chair of Big Brothers Big Sisters. That was actually the first board I ever served on. I was also a volunteer big brother. Um, my little brother is now probably in his 30s and has four children, lives in Florida. Um, and his older brother actually works at the bank that I work at. Um, but I've served on a myriad of other boards, including uh, community development advisory boards at UC Davis. I'm chair of the Sacramento Children's Museum right now. I'm treasurer of the the Greater Sacramento Urban League. Um, I'm finance chair of a, of a community development financial institution in Fresno that does small business lending to uh, minority-owned and women-owned businesses throughout the valley. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that um, in the industry that my day job is in, that um, I spend a lot of time working with nonprofits and funding them, and eventually conversations tend to lead towards me maybe joining a board if I right, have right. time. Um, so what satisfaction do you – What? well, first of all, why is it important for someone to volunteer? 
Well, I, I think it's really important. There's a there's a lot of organizations, not just in our city, but throughout this region that are doing fantastic work. Um, and nearly all of them are nonprofit organizations that have a board of directors that that need unique you know expertise, whether it's financial or HR or legal, uh, to help their organizations grow and thrive. Um, I've been blessed to be asked to, to serve on lots of different organizations. I think it's a fantastic way not only to get back to your community, but to great to, to get some really great experience, whether it's leadership development or just human interactions and, right. and, and, and getting to know your community better. It's a great way to network for your career. Um, and so it's something I've always enjoyed, but it's also something that as a day job, I help people get on boards right. too. And so um, it's just something that I think comes naturally to me is, is to help connect leaders and people with great organizations and causes. Right. Well, now we know a little bit about you, where you've came, where you come from. So Donald Terry, the private citizen. So now let's get into Donald Terry, the mayor of Rancho Cordova. And we'll discuss a few of the city matters that I think will be of interest to listeners. So first of all, what is the biggest and most concerning issue facing the city under this current administration? Um, I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say cons- the biggest concern, but I would say the number one priority always for a city um, is to keep our residents safe. So public safety is bar none the first thing that we do. It's the first thing we think about when we get up. It's the last thing we think about when we go to bed. Um, it's the one thing that I think I've instilled upon our executives um, that have ever worked for me in the city that it's the one thing that you wake me up in the middle of the night is somebody that was killed or what, or, or some other tragedy or some real serious thing, it's going to have to do with public safety. The rest of it's probably going to wait until the morning. So if there's a, a murder or a serious incident, they, they call you? They call us or they, they text us and let us know yeah. what's, what's happening. Yeah. Um, I always try to tell our staff, I, I don't really want to learn from the media what's going on in <laughs> right, our city. Right. I want to I hear from our that. staff. Yeah. Um, and it, but again, that's probably the only thing that, that rises to that, to that right. level for us. Um, so yeah, so hopefully I, I answered the question as yeah. far as what I think our top priority is. What concerns me most um, these days is you know we're coming out of a very fragile economic recovery. I think our city's done a lot better than a lot of cities in this yeah, region. Without but, a doubt. Yeah. But when you look at inflation and a lot of other things, there you know there's a lot of people that were struggling before COVID ever hit. A lot of people that have struggled since we've had a pandemic, and there are a lot of people that still haven't recovered. Right. Touching on safety, I was talking to Cyrus, the city manager. And when I first moved here and I said to people, you know, I'm, I'm in Rancho, they would, people in the area, in the region, they would say, Rancho Cordova, like, why Rancho? It's like full of crime and it's, you'll get murdered. When in fact, Rancho Cordova is one of the safest cities in this region and crime just drops all the time. Why is there that perception of Rancho? And I, I asked actually Cyrus and Linda the same question. Yeah, so if I compare it back to my days on the school board, we used to always say that, you know, to turn around a school, to get the right staff in there. So take a school that everyone thinks is the bad school and that's where all the kids are that are trouble or whatever else. Uh, you could put a different principal there. You could change over some of the staff and really change a school in like six to 18 months. You can go to a school that was struggling and you could do the things to clean it up and to get the right staff in there and to build the kind of expectations with students that will really change their lives. And you could go back onto that campus and you could see it. Right. But for the community to accept that that change has actually been made, arguably would take anywhere from seven to 15 years. Wow. So if you take an example of um, 
Sutter, uh, Sutter Middle School in East Sacramento, um, that wasn't the great middle school for kids to go to. And then a guy named Greg Purcell became the, the principal there, and he attracted a lot of other staff that wanted to come over. And all of a sudden, that school became a school of choice, mainly because it was under-enrolled because nobody wanted to put their kids there. Fast forward about 10 years, and there was a waiting list to get into that wow. school. But it took 10 years wow. between that being a good school to people believing it was a good right, school. Right, right, right. I think the struggle that we have with Ranch Cordova is that when we were a part of the county, we were we were very much forgotten and neglected. Um, crime was high. We had a lot of issues and a lot of struggles. Since becoming in a city 19 years ago, we've done a lot to clean up the city and improve it and invest in, in the ways that you need to, to to make a great community. Right. And I think there's a lot of people that live here that know the difference and see the difference and see what a great place this is. Right. But if you haven't, and all you know are the myths and the stereotypes and the things that used to be 20 years ago, there's only so much we can do to change that narrative. So this community is a much better community than it was 20 years ago. I would argue it was still a good community 20 years ago. Um, But it is a very safe place to be. It's a great place to do business. It's a great place to live. But again, there's still those those stereotypes that you have to get over. And some of that, it just takes time. Yeah. I certainly haven't experienced anything. And I've had some interaction with the police department. We've done some filming. Mm-hmm. And to me, they're very professional. And they, they, they seem to, to keep everything on the up and up. So switching gears, um, affordable housing, I know, is something that you're very involved in. So affordable housing is an issue in almost every city in America, especially large urban cities. And Rancho Cordova is, of course, no exception. When you're not serving as the mayor, I believe you work in your professional life in the field of bringing affordable housing to communities and the revitalization efforts in low and moderate income communities. What is the city doing to help bring affordable housing? And perhaps you can discuss the Doubletree Hotel project in the city that was recently sold and they plan to convert it into affordable housing. Is that correct? Um, I know about as much about that project as the Business Journal does, but right. I'll, I'll do my best to answer. Yeah. So, yeah, so my, in my day job, I work for Northern California's largest community bank, um, mainly focused on investing in affordable housing and economic development projects and other things like that that help low-income communities and people. Um, I think as a city, we, we've, I think, done a very good job, especially in the last few years, with some additional revenue uh, that has been blessed upon us by the, the voters and been entrusted to us. Um, to invest in multiple affordable housing projects that I think are really exciting. There's a great, it's a great project that's going to be built uh, close to the Double Tree uh, by St. Anton Partners, uh, right next door to the Sheep Herder. Um, we have another one on Folsom Boulevard, closer to Safeway, called uh, Crossings. Um, and then there's even a couple other ones that we're looking at. And there's a there's a proposal out right now to ask for proposals around um, additional veteran ho- uh, homeless right. housing. Uh, near the the VA right. hospital, yeah. so we have a lot of different right, irons right. in the fire when it comes to affordable housing. Um, in general, and then so the Double Tree, I think, is a is a really unique situation that we have in the city. Um, it was a hotel that went through a remodel. I want to say about three or four years ago. Um, very nice hotel. All of them are suites. Um, but they really kind of opened up right into the pandemic and during a time that it was very difficult to be a hotel. I think. Um, so I haven't talked to the owners, and, and I, I don't know a ton about the project, but from what I understand, um, of any hotel in, the, in, 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 in Ranch Cordova, 
Um, it's one of the easier ones to convert into apartments because you could put in kitchenettes and you could right. put in some of the stuff that – but most of them are all one bedrooms and studios right. already. They're not just a room and a bed and a bathroom. Right. Um, and so the 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 uh, the economics and, – and we've seen projects like this all across California where they're looking at you know some underperforming hotels right. and looking at ways to, to, to provide – yeah, yeah, to provide housing. Um, and they're doing what are called NOAAs, which are uh, – Naturally occurring affordable housing right. uh, is is their goal is that there's not going to be any federal subsidies or anything else to it. They're just going to convert it and keep them basic enough to where they can charge affordable rents for, right. for regular families. So I think it's a fantastic opportunity, and it's going to concentrate between St. Anton and that project maybe a critical mass of people living right there that maybe we can land some other amenities nearby. The phrase affordable housing mm-hmm. actually means below market rate housing. So the supply depends on taxpayer subsidy, is that correct? Yeah, I I, I like in it to I like to make the comparison in, in a different way. Affordable housing is market rate housing. Right. From everyone that walks by and everyone that looks at that housing, even if you walk into the unit, those units are pretty much the same as a as a market rate unit, right? Um, the difference between affordable housing and cheap housing is a very different thing. Right. And so you have market rate, high-end housing. You have affordable housing that is pretty much the same thing, except there's some sort of subsidy making the rent less than normal. And then you have cheap housing, which is just rundown housing that hasn't been taken care of that somebody's not charging very much for. Um, that's something we want to we want to fix up and we want to clean up. And one of the ways to do that is to build more affordable housing nearby that's nice, that's up to standards, that will hopefully raise the standard for the rest of the community as well, while housing the people that need to be happy. So if a city has a lot of affordable housing, like you just mentioned, there's a lot of projects affordable housing, mm-hmm. is that a negative thing? Can that be perceived as a negative thing for a city? I don't think it should be. I, no. I think I, I think there's a couple things to remember. One, even if you're talking, and when you talk about affordable housing, that doesn't mean just housing homeless people. Right. Um, but even if you're housing homeless people in affordable housing, yeah. the reality is, is they're your residents anyway. Exactly. So, would you rather have them in an apartment right. with a bathroom and a shower right. and and a phone, right. or would you rather them be in your front yard, right, right, or at Walmart right. in the parking lot or wherever else? I would argue that you want them in a unit. Right. So we want to house these people, and and there are people. Um, and and I think across this region, I, I want to say the last uh, the last story I read is that we need just to keep up with the growth in low income families. We need twenty thousand units in the next ten years um, in this region. The projects I'm talking about, I think, add up to four hundred and twenty units or so, four hundred twenty five. Here in like Rancho, <laughs> yeah, between the ones that we're right. that we either might fund or have made right. commitments or right. have done things for. So 400 and something. Right. We need thousands of right. units in this no, region. No, no, listen, I'm a big um, proponent. And so, yeah, no, and I'm a huge proponent yeah. too. And I think it, the, one of the biggest struggles that we had was we really missed the boat when it came to the economic downturn in the fact that housing starts went way down. But they, but the thing that came back first were single-family homes and high-end homes. Right. Affordable housing hasn't had that kind of robust growth. And the problem is is that – the growth, as far as from an economic standpoint, has been in low-income families. We have more and more low-income families right. that need housing and right. can't afford it. Exactly. And that's why, subsequently, we have right. more homeless people right. than we had 10 right. years right. ago. Right. No, pro- yeah. I know people that are moving here, and it's impossible it's to afford good. the rents. Yeah. So it's not in his head. <laughs> On the subject of homelessness, the growing number of the unhoused that we see all over the region here just take a trip around Sacramento. 
is becoming an increasing problem for cities and municipalities everywhere. What is the position of the city council on the problem of the unhoused in this city? And how does the city council work with city hall staff to combat the problem? Well, the problem of homelessness, like I said, you could look at it from the macro standpoint of what's happening economically and why do we end up with so many more homeless people than we had 10 years ago or so. And you can draw a line to wages not going up, rents going up, and units not being built fast enough to house the people that need it. And the people with resources are moving further down the food chain of housing and renting more substandard units because that's all that's available and they can do it with their money and the people that are barely being able to make it are being priced out. Um, And so, one, we need to grow. And I'm proud of being the mayor of the fastest growing city for the last few years in this region. Um, We need to grow multifamily housing in this city. That's something that I think we've been behind on for a while. We're growing a lot of single family houses, especially in the south part of town. Um, But multifamily housing more in the core is definitely something that that needs to come as well. Um, But in general, I think we as a city are really committed to to growing the city as fast as we can. And, and, And to be frank, the most effective strategy towards, you know, ending a housing crisis is building the damn housing that we need. But what is the position of the city if all of a sudden, you know, people start camping out along Folsom Boulevard? What What is the city going to do? Are they going to let them like they do in um, Sacramento? Or what is the – how do you solve that? Well, I, at first, I, I don't know if I would characterize that Sacramento, the county, or the city are allowing it. But, um, you know, there, there are laws that prevent governments from just, you know, yeah. going and saying move along to somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. no, listen. Uh, I, espe- what, especially if there's nowhere to put them. That being said, I would say that if you if you drove around the city, and I actually I had some time to kill last night before an event that I was going to in Sacramento, and I actually got to, I drove around parts of where my last job when I worked for a nonprofit building affordable housing, um, out in Oak Park, and drove around and and you know was reminded really that the problems and the struggles of certain parts of Sacramento comparatively to Ranch Cordova just aren't the same. Like right. we we don't have the problem that you see in like the rail yards no. and parts of Oak Park and South Oak Park and North Sacramento and stuff. But that doesn't mean that it's not a problem. Right. And, and that doesn't mean that, that you know, all politics aren't local and our constituents see something that, that they'd rather not see. Um, but I think we need to put our, our, our homeless and our housing crisis um, in perspective. Because right. um, if you look at it from the standpoint of like New York City or the state of New York, right, they consider homelessness to be a humanitarian crisis. And it is. Because if they didn't have, if they didn't have a right to shelter in the city of New York, and then any, any given night in the in the in New York City, you'll have over a hundred thousand people being being sheltered. Yeah. If they didn't do that, they'd have a morgue crisis. They'd have people dying in their streets. Yeah. I think the difference in California is we continue to describe our homeless and our housing crisis in in this in the guise of a of a of a, of a nuisance. You know, people camping on Folsom Boulevard or camping under freeway passes. And those are things that we don't want to see. And it's affecting businesses and it's a problem. And that's how we describe our crisis. We don't say it's a humanitarian crisis that we have people living unsheltered when it's 110 degrees today. And people are going to die today. Um, And that's a crisis that that if we if if we as a collective community decided that that homelessness is a humanitarian crisis and we don't want people dying on our streets – then we would do something right. more akin to, to what the city of New York does and, and the state of New York does. Right. Um, and there's been pushes towards that. I think the city and the county of Sacramento are um, 
both weighing different ballot initiatives that I'm interested to see where those go. And if we find any kind of good best practices that, that we can implement in the city, by all means, we want to do that. Right. Um, and I'll also say that, again, I've had elected officials and county officials come to us and, and ask us, what are we in Ranch Cordova doing? Because there's so many less homeless people in Ranch Cordova right. compared to the exactly. county. That's why I asked. And, yeah. and I think part of it is, you know, we're getting people the services, we're investing in the units that they need, and we're working with our partners as best we can, including the police department, to effectively engage the, our homeless population the best way we can right. and try to house them. Um, but again, it, it we don't have the problem the county has. We still have our own problems, right. and, we, and we're doing our th- what we can to address it. And, and, and yeah, I mean, if you drive down Folsom Boulevard from where we are here, you know, at the winery building and you go west, as soon as you get past Bradshaw, you see something that looks a lot different yeah. than it does in the city. And by no means was I implying that they're a nuisance. I don't see the housing and the unhoused as a nuisance. I mean, what else can they do? Mm-hmm. Everybody is, you know, can find themselves homeless yeah. in one yeah. way or another. So. And, and and our last point in time count, 75% of the people that are living, that are homeless and unsheltered in Ranch Cordova say they're from Ranch Cordova. So these are not people that right. moved here. They're people that lived here that became homeless for a whole a whole host of reasons. But it is a very ignorant um, um, situ- um, a subject with some people. I Just yesterday, I was next door. Mm-hmm. And we won't say where, but you know where I mean, sure. where you get food. And just I was just getting some food. And, and they were actually talking, oh, get rid of the homeless. Just get rid of them. Let's just move them. And I'm thinking that's very ignorant, really, to, to say something like that. Because where are you going to move them to? Well, le- legally, you can't do that anymore. Right, right. Uh, you can do it if homeless people are damaging or, or right. endangering certain yeah. critical infrastructure and things like that. And those I, are the those are the conversations yeah. that are happening. I guess right it now. just made me realize that it is an issue. It is. That people just sit in there just for no reason it comes well, up. Well, and, and again, that gets kind of back to my point that, that when, we think, when we think that, you know um, – that homelessness is, is a crisis. We're saying it's a crisis because we don't want to see it. Right. It's annoying uh, to us. It's right. a nuisance to us. When the the communities that I've seen that have gotten really serious about getting people off the streets um, are the ones that look at it and say this is a humanitarian crisis. Right. And and frankly, on on a lot of the coasts where it doesn't snow a lot, right, or the west coast at least, let's yeah. say, where we have a lot more homeless right. than than our fair share. And but a lot of that is because. You can't live in downtown Salt Lake City where they, you know, miraculously, they they solved veteran homeless in about two years when right. they started with 37, I think, you know, homeless people. Right. It's a lot more. It's it's a lot easier to get people to take services when they know they're going to freeze today. Right. Right. Um, and so those are things that make a difference in, right. in, in some of these conversations. But also it's about some of these communities, they've made real financial commitments to, to solving it. And I think... Here in Sacramento, over the last 15 or 20 years, there's been a lot of finger pointing between what county services are supposed to be addressing this problem to what cities are supposed to be doing, to what the state's supposed to be doing, to what the medical industry is supposed to be doing. Um, and, and I think we've all just been a little stunned about it. I mean, yeah. I've, you know, I've chaired, you know, lobbying trips to D.C. to for, you know, homelessness and affordable housing funding for the last six or seven years. Um, so I, I'm steeped in this conversation, but I can tell you we're still all struggling for what right. the right solutions are. So in a moment, we're going to take a break. But one question before, um, I read that you helped the city develop and implement its community engagement division, a group that works to empower neighbor residents to compose their own community plans 
to carry out various community projects. Five neighborhoods, I believe, have gone through the full community engagement process. What is the community engagement division? How does it work? And how does a neighborhood get involved or benefit from it? So the first thing I would say, uh, and thank you for highlighting that or even talking about this subject. A lot of people don't talk about it, but um, I, as a city council member, don't do anything. Um, so me as a city council, did you say you don't do, I don't, I don't do anything. I I don't implement programs at the city. Our, our great city staff does, uh, under the supervision of our city manager. Well, you help develop it though, right? I help support the idea. So, so really what happened when I got on the city council, um, we had a, we had a volunteer division. Um, and what really sprung from it was a conversation one night when we had, um, our volunteer coordinator, uh, Lorianne Ulm. But what what is it though? Maybe we yeah, yeah, no, just, no, no, no. Yeah. That's what I'm gonna, I'm oh, gonna get okay. to. And so we we had this this ceremony to thank some VSP employees for um, going out and and doing some work on, on a low income person's home that they need some paint and some yard work and some things done. And we were thanking the, the volunteers that had gone to it. And Lorianne had spent about sixty staff hours. Getting paint, getting wood, you know, donated, getting painting supplies and all this stuff, and and bark and other things to put in this in this person's yard. Um, and one of my colleagues was like, "This is really great that VSP did this, but there ought to be a nonprofit that that does this kind of work." Um, and I'm like, "Well, there actually is, and we could hire them, and then we could have Lorianne working on something else." And what I started to really push was this this concept that um, I had been uh, exposed to couple of employers ago called asset-based community development and essentially what that what that concept does and it was a guy named john mcknight that wrote a book years ago around the 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 normal concept of community development um, in this country has always been to go study a community find out what's wrong with them and then fund the things to fix it so you go into a community and you say they have high crime because they have high teen pregnancy rates so let's fund abstinence and and sex ed programs, right? Or you go into this community and it's everybody's unemployed, so let's fund a bunch of small business programs, right? Or And so it was always kind of building on broken. And what asset-based community development says is you go into a community, you work with the community, and you identify what's good in a community and how you can build from that. And what we did was, um, by adopting a policy around the fact that we wanted to engage in this kind of work, was we went and trained multiple staff members and how to facilitate conversations exactly what, like what I'm talking about um, in targeted communities throughout the city. Um, and, you know, the, the, the concept, um, again, it's not a new one. It's been around for, for decades now. Uh, it's been implemented in pl- places like Savannah, Georgia, where they went in and they figured out that most households had somebody that had experience in the trades, either as a handyman or a landscaper or something like that. And if you gave them small grants, they go and fix up all your blight, pick up all your graf- or you know paint over all your graffiti, and fix up some of the neighbors' you know um, uh, blighted front yards and stuff. In other places, it was um, you know realizing that in in a public housing development that a third of the senior, uh, a third of the residents were senior citizens and women that were living at home and that could be running daycare facilities. So they ended up opening a bunch of daycare facilities so that the other people that lived there that had kids had somewhere to put their kids. Okay. They could use the, the vouchers to, to, to pay the, the elderly women that were living in the apartment complex to watch their kids so that they could go out and work. And it turned out that they opened a shopping mall across the street because they had so many available workers. Wow. So the concept that we've, tried to embrace in Ranch Cordova. And part of it came out of, the, at least the, one of the first neighborhoods, it came out of um, 
some public safety issues that we had in a neighborhood and somebody was saying, well, let's go start a neighborhood watch. And I said, well, let's go talk to the residents and find out what they want to work on and what do they care about their community. And we were starting from the very basic uh, in this community, right? So they, there was a focus group done of fourth graders and they were asking students or they were asking the kids uh, very basic things like, who's a leader in your community? And they would say, well, my mom and dad are leaders in my community. Okay, well, how are they leaders in your community? Well, they keep me safe. Well, how do they keep you safe? They don't let me go outside and play because it's not safe to be outside. Right. So we were starting with it's not a safe place to be. You don't know your neighbors. What do you want to do? And so what happened was you had a they, – they found about 15 people in the neighborhood that really wanted to be engaged or showing up to the meetings. And they said, well, let's throw a block party. And the funny thing was is our police department had just tried to throw a block party like six months before. And like 15 people showed up. Like we had 30 or 40 cops there. They got in bounce houses. They were barbecuing and like 15 people showed up. Not good for the ego. Not great. So six, nine months later, the same neighborhood says, we're going to throw a block party. And we gave them like a $2,000 grant. They rented some bounce houses. They got a bunch of meat from Costco and stuff. 400 people showed up. Wow. And it lasted till like 10 at night. Wow, that's very uh, good. Police were there. Everybody was there. But it was the, the right. that neighborhood the deciding for themselves right. that they wanted to connect with their their neighbors and and and, and their residents. And um, yeah, and so we've we, we're in multiple communities now. I think that the neighborhood engagement team is up to four or five employees, all highly trained in asset based community development. And really, what we do is, or what they do in that department, is they go out and engage our community in how to build a better community. But the most important thing is we don't build on broken. But what do build you build on assets? What do you call a community though? Do you call it like a, a series of streets or a neighborhood? It depends. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing that California really prides itself in is every neighborhood's got its own name. Okay. Uh, so whether it's the Vineyard area, I see. Okay. or it's Anatolia, okay. or it's Kavala, or okay. it's Sun River, right? Or, right. That's so, a community. Yeah, each yeah. one of them has their own little. Okay. And and so. Uh, Lincoln Village, Countryside, I, I could go on, but the, yeah. it, most of them are named around uh, uh, either a centralized park that they have there. Right. So Sun River has Sun River Park, right? And Stone Creek has Stone right. Creek Park. So this so, is a program that's ongoing. Yeah. And very yeah. supportive. The city is very supportive. Yeah, and eventually we'll hit every community every. in this city, whether it's one of our more affluent areas or one of our more economically right. challenged or, or, or older communities. Um, but we've, for the most part, we've started, we've started in our more established communities. Well, Mr. Mayor, I'm really enjoying speaking with you, but first we're going to have to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by the CalCap Film Studios in Rancho Cordova. Video is one of the most progressive and cost-effective ways of getting your message seen and heard. It's hands down the best way to capture your audience and generate sales in today's digital world. CalCap Film Studios provides corporate, industrial, and commercial video production services that will propel your business towards success in today's digital frontier. At CalCap Film Studios, we know what you need and will inspire your audience with a message that's unique to your brand and business. For more information, call 916-706-2000 or visit www.calcapfilmstudios.com. And we're back with the Rancho Cordova All-American City podcast. Today, we're here with Rancho Cordova Cordova Mayor Donald Terry. So, Mr. Mayor, before the break, we were discussing the community engagement program that you help implement. Another topic you're very interested in is education. 
as we discussed, you served on the Cordova, on the Sacramento Unified School District Board for four years. Um, there was a time when A.M. Will Elementary was going to close and it, had, and, um, it transformed into a K-8 Waldorf-inspired school. Tell us a little about what happened there. So that that was in the last year of uh, my service on the, the school board. Um, one of the struggles that a lot of urban communities uh, and school districts have is um, declining enrollment. Lots of kids and families move into the to the suburbs, um, and so in comparison, Sac City Unified has about forty five thousand students, and they operate about eighty five schools. Uh, Elk Grove has about I think seventy thousand students and operates about sixty schools. So just the efficiency ratio there tell you all you need to know. 40,000 students in about 90 schools and about one and a half times that and about, uh, you know, 70% of the schools. Right. And so one of the ways that you can save money in a school district is to close schools, right? Yeah. You, if you, you don't have another principal or, right. you know, front office teachers, and that kind of stuff, yeah. you, well, the teachers go with the kids. But yeah. all those other things that come from a school. And so most things will tell you there's about a million dollars of overhead in any school that you're running. And so we were looking at... You know, during my time on the school board, I, I closed four schools, one charter and three public schools, I think, maybe even more. Um, and at one point we were talking through, you know, um, another round of cuts. Right after I left the school board, they actually closed, I think, eight or nine more schools. Uh, but at this time we were, we were talking about four schools. One of them was in Ranch Cordova and Lincoln Village and it was Amwin. Um, ultimately, by working with, you know, the neighborhood and some other folks, we were able to convince the school board that it wasn't a good idea for this school to close um, at that time based on how big the, the attendance area was and a lot of other things. But what happened was, and it's very similar to our conversation around community engagement, um, once the school district and the board decided not to close the school, it went through a visioning process to decide what could it be in the future, right? Because if it just stayed the way it was, it's going to be an under-enrolled school, and at some point it's going to close. And so the neighborhood and a lot of city leaders, I didn't actually directly engage in that process because as a school board member, I had to vote on what the outcome was going to be and, and what direction the school was actually going to take. And so um, over the period of a matter of months, uh, the school district worked with stakeholders and a lot of other folks to come up with a vision of what the school is going to be. There were concepts of it to be um, a language immersion program, maybe a Russian or Ukrainian school that would teach a different language to students, uh, even a Spanish school. Um, what ultimately uh, kind of won the day as far as a concept was this Waldorf-inspired school that also in, in concert with uh, George Washington Carver, which is one of the first Waldorf-inspired public high schools in the country. Um, and then when you converted this K-8 at AMWIN into a Waldorf program, it's actually the first K-12 Waldorf public program in the country. Uh, there are other high schools and there are other elementary schools throughout the country, but there is none that were all in one neighborhood. Um, and so uh, I think what's been really exciting is it's drawn in a lot of kids and families from outside of Ranch Cordova, one, to stabilize the population of that right. school. Uh, but it's also exposed a lot of families that, that, frankly, lived in, I would argue, even much more affluent communities in the city of Sacramento that want their wanted their kids to go to a Waldorf school, right. um, have chosen to move here. Right. Um, and, and simply because their kids wanted to go to school here. Right, they right. wanted their kids to go to school here. So I, I, I think um, th that that's an example of what I think urban school districts across this country are going to be having to do over right. the next 20 years is – Figure out how you're going to attract families back into into communities that don't have 
as many kids as they as they did when they opened a school. Right. Um, so, so talking about Waldorf schools, so yeah. I actually have guardianship over a 17-year-old boy who's at Carver. Great. He just started this year. I know the principal there very, very well. And we've actually done some work with Carver. Are you a proponent of the Waldorf system? I So I will always remind people that even when I was on the school board, I was not the educational expert at my own home. So my wife's a credential teacher. Um, I don't think Waldorf would have been the right school for my kids. No. Uh, it definitely was not the right school for my wife's children. Let's no. put it that way, too. Um, in the fact that she, she has a very different educational philosophy. But I, what I was trying to allude to a, a minute ago is, but this is the kind of thing that we need to be thinking about when we talk about revitalizing urban areas and areas that have had slow growth over the last 30 right. years. That if, if we don't give them a reason to offer them the kind of education that that, that, that family and that child needs or wants, right. they're going to find it somewhere else. Exactly. There are private schools that are offering right. Waldorf programs now that people are paying very good money right. to send their kids to. Um, there are other schools of choice like that. I, re I actually remember having this conversation. I won't name names, but I remember uh, once I was on the city council and we were talking about just like we were talking about Amwin, we were talking about the Riverview STEM Academy that's in Fols Cordova and some other ones. And I remember a school board member who's gone on to be elected to other things, but um, they mentioned, they're like, I don't understand like why we do all this. I don't understand why we have different theme programs. I don't understand why we go through all this. Like, why don't kids just go to their neighborhood schools and ha and let it be the, you know, and, and that be right. the end of it. Um, and, and that kind of, in my opinion, kind of tone deaf comment uh, frankly, was coming from somebody that lives in Folsom that says, well, every school that's in Folsom is a pretty good school, so just send your kid to the school that's down the street and you're fine. And that works in communities that have those kinds of, you know, yeah. test scores or whatever else. Um, in the communities where we're struggling to get families right. to want to come here, yeah. we have to give them a reason. Right. Um, and so a lot of it, if you look at what Sac City Unified has really started to do from a thematic program, um, whether you look at OW Early Wine or a lot of other schools, I'm trying to think of... Um, some other ones right now, but um, there's a lot of different thematic and unique programs. The Sacramento Language Academy is another one where students will speak almost 100% Spanish in kindergarten and then phase into English through sixth grade. Um, those are attractive programs. One of the other programs like that's in Davis, right? So even in some of these more affluent areas, these are the kinds of educations that parents and families are asking for and want. Um, and so my opinion of Waldorf is... I supported the program. There are a lot of people that wanted that for as an education for their children. And a lot of studies bear out that at the end of the day, a lot of those students are much more hireable into in, directly into the economy because they spend a lot more time um, doing work in, in, in an oral tradition of doing oral reports and other things like that and a lot less of just on computers right. and writing stuff. And it's much um, smaller. It, it, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And that, that's definitely another. That's um, one thing I noticed with the person, you know, the, the who I have there. Yeah. You go, there's 220 students. 12. I think they'd like more. I, I, I'm sure they would yeah. love to have a high school of about 600. But it's definitely not 2,000 like some of the no, other high no. schools in the region. And this right? class is 12, 12 yeah. 14 in a class. I mean, that's yeah. got to be great. I'm sure they would like those to be a little bit bigger. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, that smaller learning community, that's something that Sac City Unified actually did right. before I ever got on the school right. board was with the – the E21 initiative where they really looked at even the large comprehensive of high schools, they created small learning communities inside of them um, in kind of different majors and really, right. really focus kids in the way that, that you do once you get to college on 
a certain career path or a certain study path. Um, and then, uh, you know, supplementing those larger high schools and the small learning communities are actually small high schools, which right. Carver is one of them. It's interesting because when I say that I, you know, I closed four schools, one of them was a charter school that was at that school. Um, so the reason that Carver ended up at that school oh, is because I really? closed Genesis High I, School. I had the building. That, that yeah. same building, there was Genesis wow. High School, which was really a, a military-themed uh, program or in right. high school that, frankly, wasn't doing very well, no. wasn't attracting kids, and they weren't graduating. Um, and so my first year on the school board, we closed that school. Uh, the first graduation I ever attended and, and conferred degrees or, or diplomas on students was George Washington Carver. Wow. But all the kids who were graduating were former Genesis High students yeah, okay. for the school that I closed. So we'll move on. Um, sure. On doing research for to, to speak to you today, I'm I was surprised at how many things in Rancho Cordova you have your touch in. Good things. Um, one of my favorite programs, in 2014, you led the campaign to support the passage of Measure H, the quarter, uh, half cent uh, sales tax yeah. measure, which is anticipated or was anticipated to raise an additional $7 million a year. The fund now supports community priorities that improve community pride, civic engagement, public safety, arts and culture, etc. So I have three questions. And this program is something I'm familiar with because we've taken advantage of it. Sure. So how did this program come about? And can you give us some notable examples where it has improved the quality of life in Rancho? And how does the city measure its ongoing success? So I, I, would, I want to say that the conversation around a tax measure started in 2013. Uh, I got elected in 2012, so really my first year. There, there had been some talk about it, um, and then as part of the the resident satisfaction survey, um, there were some questions added around, you know, if the city was to have additional revenue, what would you, what would you as a resident want to use it for, and 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 how, um, you know, what kinds of programs would you want to see funded by it? Um, the city embarked on on putting it on the ballot in 2014. Um, it passed with 63% of the vote, I want to say. Nice. Um, and as a general sales tax, it only had to get 50% of the vote um, to, to pass. Um, and I, I want to say our first estimates, it was more like $5 million is what we expected it to be. And in the first year, it it, it paid or it, it collected about $7 million, And I think this year, it's going to be around $9 million. Uh, so it's performing a lot better than I think we ever expected. Um Initially, the concept around why we wanted to do it or, or what we thought we would do with it um, was really focused around leveling the playing field, especially in looking at our school district and, and Fulce Cordova in, in general, that you had, you could draw a line down the middle of that school district and you could point out that a school in the Folsom area could hold a spaghetti feed and raise six figures for their, their you know, Pop Warner team or their right. middle school basketball team or whatever. And, you know, maybe our high school could raise, you know, 20000 for the football team, right? And so when we looked at it, we said, you know, could we supplement that lost revenue and asset in our community and fund those things that PTAs in, in more affluent and more, um, uh, and just fr frankly, more affluent communities can just do on their own. Right. Um, and so we funded things like new football helmets for the football team right. that had sensors in them that would tell – you know, the the trainers of a kid had too hard of a, of a hit or had a concussion or things like that. Um, and the next year we won the city league 
tournament or the or we won the city title for football. Um, we've funded you know new weight rooms for the for the for the, the for the high school. Um, we funded things like the Promise program, so every graduating high school senior could attend community college uh, tuition free. Something now that the state is now funding, but that we've still from Measure H. It does program. Yeah, okay. so we've been doing that. That that's that's probably in my opinion one of our yeah. signature programs. Yeah. Uh, we're still committed about two hundred thousand a year to that program, which now funds to make sure that students are taking full course loads so that they can graduate in two years. We're funding them for. To, to cover book costs, to cover gas money. Uh, we're now funding any resident in the city that wants to go to community college if, yeah. they, if they study in a high resilient right. um, uh, job sector. So like um, cybersecurity, nursing, uh, um, uh, x-ray tech, yeah. um, building trades yeah. are all things that we'll, we'll pay for your community college even if, you're in a, even if you haven't gone to you know, high school in 20 years. Um, so we've done a bunch of things, to, in my opinion, to level up the playing field. No, wait. Let me just go back. Um, so if I wanted to go to community college on one of these sector employments, you would fund that? Yep. Wow. Okay. All you got to do is be a resident for a certain yeah, amount yeah. of time. Okay. And, so it's and, not just for young people. It's for anyone. No, that, that's really where it started. And then over the year, over the last couple of years, the state legislature and the governor have kind of filled the gap that we were filling and we've kind of moved it and expanded okay. it into more um, into more areas to benefit okay. more people. And so, yeah, the last year kind of coming out of the pandemic, one of the things that, that we decided to expand were a lot of those people that, that, that were in job sectors that just aren't resilient anymore, right? Like, so one example would be like food service. I mean, you know, if you were a waiter or a cook in the last, you know, three years, you probably got laid off like three times. Right. Um, and so... If there are people that that you know want to go into cybersecurity, want to go into nursing, or want to go into these other things that we know have stayed, right? You know, a, a high demand. Um, probably things like maybe being a pilot or being a a, a flight attendant would be a good right. one too. Right. Um, but in in those areas, we we will fund any resident right. that wants to okay. go to community college. And this is all from Measure H. Yep. Yeah, and also arts. It's, Rancho is. Very supportive of the arts. That I have found out since I've been here. Yeah. I, I think um, in the first couple of years, we really had to push because we didn't have as many artists right. coming to us with ideas. Right. And so we set we set aside money hoping to fund arts, and we never spent all the money. Right. Um, but I, I think the word's really gotten out yeah. that we will commission things. We'll actually support artists and 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 use their works in, yeah. in lots of different projects that we have. So yeah, no, we're, we have a lot of pride around, around yeah. our, 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 art community. And how, Absolutely. and how do you measure the success of it? Is it just on the reporting that comes back? We have an oversight committee that looks at the effectiveness of, of our funding. Um, and you know, we map out where a lot of those things go. Um, it, it depends on the project and kind of how you look at it. We fund that we fund in areas like, you know, mm -hmm. public safety, um, especially around our homeless and outreach team, which is our hot team. Yeah. Um, and then even our, um, crime suppression unit, which yeah. is really focused on preventing right. violent crime. Yeah. Um, and so those are really easy. You can just look at the numbers and yeah. did we have so less violent down. crime this year yeah. than last yeah, year? Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, and you could look football helmets and, and say, okay, we won the city championship. That worked. Yeah. Um, but then other things, it, it's a little harder. It takes a little yeah. bit longer. Yeah, like yeah. we're trying to figure out for our promise program students, and, and we're actually in a working group with the national league of cities on this. Um, how are our promise students doing in college? And it's, it's, that's not as simple of an answer because it's a lot harder to keep track of our students right. as they move on. Yeah. Um, especially because they don't have to tell us how they're doing. Right. right. They can just move on. Yeah. Um, and so some of those, we're still trying to figure out better ways to, to, to capture it. Yeah. Um, funding roads and, and sidewalk improvements, pretty easy. We can yeah. go in and say, yeah. you know, each year we spend about 
a million or two or about a quarter, uh, 20 to 30% yeah. of the money on, on public works in, yeah. in one well, way. I've seen it here on Paulson. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of those projects, you know, the, it was an $8 million project. And until we got it to $10 million, we couldn't yeah. start. And without the $2 million for Measure H, right. it may have been six months to a right. year longer before right, right. we did that project. Well, seven, eight million a year since 2014. That's 56, 60 million. Yeah. That's a lot of money. It, yeah, 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 yeah. A million here, a million there. Yeah, at, at some point, it's yeah. real money. Right. <laughs> So now just quickly touch on the business climate in the city today. As the film office here, we keep an eye on the business goings on in the city. And every week I see either via the chamber or through the city website, how many new businesses are opening, which is, you know, it's great. Has the city fully recovered from the pandemic and how optimistic are you of future growth? Um, so let me ask, answer the question about fully recovered. Um, I think that's that's a very subjective question yeah. to the to individuals. There are a lot of people that know they haven't recovered. Their business hasn't recovered. If you were running a daycare facility in this in this city in the last five or ten years, your business is not back to normal. Right. People aren't going back to work in the same way. Right. If you relied on a lunch rush for your restaurant, yeah. things haven't recovered. No. Um, but from a government standpoint, yeah, the city government's recovered, right. um, and you know we're. We're still offering the same services that we did pre-pandemic, uh, but there's still a lot of pain and there's a lot of disruption in the economy. Um, I think as a growing community that you know keeps adding lots of residents every month, um, we're attracting new businesses just because new people are being attracted here. And as we add more rooftops and we add more people under those rooftops, we're going to see new re- we're going to see new stores like Sprouts, you know. Uh, coming to town, you're going to see things like the new McDonald's over in the Anatolian Marketplace and the and the Round Table and Dutch Brothers and those Sprouts, kinds of things. Sprouts, did you say? Sprouts is going to be Where? over here at Bear Hollow and Zinfandel. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so nice. it That's should a, open yeah. in November. Um, I actually just spoke to the CEO on Zoom like last month. Yeah. Nice, uh, nice Scottish guy. That's almost like uh, <laughs> almost like Whole Foods come in. Yeah, Sprouts, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know what Sprouts is, and I think until well, you've in been LA, in, I mean, I lived in. LA yeah, no, I, I love Sprouts. Sprouts there's one, is great. Yeah, there's yeah. one a few miles from my office in yeah. Roseville for my day job, and I I think it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But it's, a lot of people I don't think are aware of the brand yeah. unless you've been there. Right. Uh, so I think it'll take a while, but but uh, yeah, they they should be open. Uh, early November, so yeah. we're what, like two yeah. and a half months away yeah. from a ribbon cutting. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. So things are good. Things are it's, good. I mean, good. And, and even from, I mean, just from an employ, an employment attracted uh, situation, you know, UC Davis Med Center uh, or healthcare uh, has moved about a thousand jobs across the street from City Hall, right there on White Rock. Um, just across the street from that, Soledine has uh, secured three buildings as as their new. I think quasi headquarters, um, and that that that's a huge deal. I mean that that's more jobs than Centene put in the right. Tomas, yeah. um, in in the city of Sacramento, and and that was a, a big deal with HealthNet and Centene moving there. So line um, long term might have more jobs in Ranch Cordova mm-hmm. than Centene, yeah. Um, and so we're really excited about welcoming them, and yeah. hopefully a lot of the ancillary companies that come with yeah. that. Um, there's even been talk of an Amazon, you know, fulfillment center somewhere right. in Rancho, uh, which tends to drive a lot of other ancillary businesses around right. it, whether it's fixing their trucks and doing right. other things. So, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of exciting things, whether it, it's small businesses moving in and, and opening up. And a lot of that is just from the, the service sector that, right. that comes with more people. Well, I think here. a visual for me for the pandemic is um, when I before the pan- 2019, early 2020, when I went to City Hall, the parking lots all around City Hall were full. Yeah. 
but now they're not. No. You know, everybody's still working from home. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. And and we're going to continue to see that for a while. A lot of the industries that that filled those parking lots, especially um, near City Hall in, in the business park, a lot of them are insurance and health related. Yeah. There are a lot of jobs that can be done remotely for quite a while. Exactly. Um, but that impacts the restaurant. It's going to impact everything. Yeah. But but I, I to bear a head in the sand, I think, and, and say, well, let's just wait for everybody to, to start right. driving back to work. Yeah. Um, I, I I think we, we just had a once-in-a-generation yeah. shift in the expectation yeah. of where you do right. work for, for a large part of the economy. Um, one of the things that we were talking about before the pandemic that I hope we continue to push the envelope and explore is replacing some of that parking in the business park with housing. Um, and so we've talked about that with um, uh, Cal North State um, – and the pharmacy school, I think, that, that's over there. But they're actually going to build dorms okay. for their students. Um, and so I think what what my hope is, is as we move more into this gig economy where you have ride share and you have uh, small micro transit right. like the scooters and other things that, that we're seeing and people using more mass transit, right. um, that I hope we get to a point where we understand we don't need all of this parking. We can repurpose a lot right. of it and create – uh, a sense of community in places where people only are during the day, right? And so even even with like our conversations around the Civic Center here on Folsom Boulevard, and I know there's been some trepidation about the housing that that, that is being built with it, uh, but that housing means that you have people occupying yeah. that space all hours of the day, right. even at night, yeah. right? That cuts down on crime. Yeah. That cuts down on homelessness. Yeah. Yeah. Homeless people don't tend to want to be where there's lots of people that all the program, time. That program, I talked to the city manager mm-hmm. and to Linda. Um, that's, I remember going to City Hall when there was a public hearing. Mm-hmm. Whoa, that was a very contentious meeting on both sides. Yeah. I, 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 and all I'll, because of the I'll, housing. I'll be frank that uh, during... If I compare my time on the school board to my time on the city council, we have never had a, a really raucous meeting at city council. So I've never had a really divisive meeting right. at city council in the way that I did it. Well, for me, board. I was just surprised at how many people were against it. Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. But but I would also say that that's still a very vocal minority yeah. of the people. that right. I'm. It's a great program. Yeah. I mean, it's a great project. Yeah. And but the concept of that, whether that's a business park and the fact that people aren't coming you know, back to work, therefore they're not there for lunch. If they live next to their work, they go to work, Yeah. right? But if they live in Roseville, right. commuting here is a lot harder. Right. If they live in Elk Grove, but yeah. if we can convince them to move here. Yeah, I, it makes then, perfect sense to Yeah, me. and so, yeah. so I think what we really need to double down right. as a city and as a community is leveraging that business park to get right. more residents. And part of that's going to be rezoning and reimagining what our business park looks like. And it's probably going to include a lot more housing. So the city has implemented a five-year capital improvement plan, which calls for the allocation of $153 million in fiscal year 21-22 and $72 million 22-23 for 71 projects across four categories. What are some of the projects and how exciting is that? Because that, to me, sounds like a lot of money for great improvement. Um, or do I have it all wrong? I don't know if you have it all wrong. I, I, I think that's lumping a bunch of projects into themselves, but between yeah. public works, uh, our I legacy. I see here alternative transportation, roadway transportation, stormwater, and citywide. I'm not really sure what citywide means. Yeah, so mainly those are public works yeah. projects in one way or another. So either stormwater. So uh, the money's going to those things. Yeah, sidewalk yeah. improvements, uh, 
Uh, th- so there's it, a, there is funding in there for microtransit and trying to do more things like alternative modal. So it's infrastructure improvement. And some of it's technology-based yeah. and other things. Like we're, we're a city that tomorrow, because of uh, funding and, and, and focus that we put in on like um, technology around public works and around like um, – uh, traffic lights and traffic signals and things like that, that we could have autonomous vehicles in Rancho tomorrow. Yeah. If they wanted to to test them here, we could be one of the cities right. that they could do that in legally and because we had spent the time to, to do that. But also looking at things like um, power-assisted bikes, um, uh, e-scooters and other things like that. Um, we have some contracts right now with some with some, some service providers, and hopefully we'll have some more. They're coming? Um, because in Sacramento, you see them everywhere. Yeah, we, we don't have some of the non-docking programs at the right. moment. We have we – have a, a, we, and I, was a, I wasn't as excited about that contract as some other things, but um, we gave an exclusivity a, agreement for about 12 months that I think is get, getting close to coming up on a docking program. So they actually have to leave it in a charger in a certain place. And um, a lot of the ones that you see in Sacramento are the non-dockless right. ones where they're, they're just, just around and you pick one yeah. up. And yeah. um, there, there, there are some struggles there around people leaving them in the wrong places and some other uh, problems that they have. But as part of the, this long uh, or this larger community improvement plan is really focused around one, fixing things first. You know, we have streets and sidewalks that just need to be dealt with. Um, but then we have other things that we're trying to, you know, yeah. build out a more green and, and more sustainable yeah. community. And yeah. part of that is, you know, one is, like, like I said, getting people to move here is the best thing. The people that work here should live here. Right. Um, but then also making it just easier to get people to move around the city. And so if you work here, you shouldn't have to get in your car if you want to go have lunch. And right. so can you get a scooter and go over right. to, you know, Burger King or Mod Pizza yeah. or, or, or something else over by, by Target? Um, and also, can you take mass transit here and hop on a scooter or something else and never even bring your car to work right. um, or come here to, you know, go to a play or go to a ball game or right. go to a movie night, which right. is, um, you know, or I think it's concerts uh, tonight in the park for yeah. the community council. Movie theater um, would be nice. Movie theater would be nice. I think that's something that we've worked on. Although, Even, you know, know, I think they should get an odd house movie. Theater. Forget the sixteen. IMAX. I'd love that. I, I get an I get an odd house movie theater here, and that would be the odd house movie theater for. For everywhere. Yeah. I, I, and for an industry that this weekend, I think that, you know, because of Labor Day, I think you can go to the movies for like three bucks or something yeah, this so weekend. So they I, all told me. I, that I, I don't know how easy it is to get into the movie theater business today as it used to be. Right. But smaller art house, like I, yeah. I grew up with very old movie right. houses in Santa Cruz, the Rio Theater, and um, I'm trying to think of the other one that's, that's downtown. And then they even opened well, up the, the Bay Area. The, the they're six, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, but in Santa Cruz, they opened up the big, you know, eight screen movie plex right. or whatever. I'm pretty right. sure it just closed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the 16. Yeah, me either. You no, know, I'm just yeah. not a. So let me ask you, when you're out and about in the community and just you, private citizen, you, and you meet residents who recognize you and business owners, what are some of the concerns that they come up to you with? Are they more positive or are they more negative or is it a combination? Um, well, I think wearing a mask the last few years has made it a little harder for people yeah. to recognize <laughs> me. So that, that might be right. part of it. But... In general, um, people that know me and that stop me and say the grocery store or something like that, um, it's tended to be positive or it's tended to be something very specific to the time of year. Um, I, I know I'll get stopped very often in June with concerns 
uh, around fireworks and just after Fourth of July. That's that's something that I hear a lot about. That you know, it, it sounds like a war zone in my neighborhood. And why aren't you doing more about well, it? Anybody who has a dog as I do yeah. hates fireworks. Yeah, and my so. Dog- so, traumatized. Yeah, so that that's a, that's probably a time of year I get stopped a little more often, I would say. Um, in general, though, I mean, most people are very, positive. you know, positive yeah. and, and, and thankful of what the city's yeah. done. Um, I, I think they, I, I may even get credit a little too often for things that, that probably were put in place or in motion before I ever got here. Right. Um, but take it. And yeah, so yeah. I don't I don't necessarily argue with them. Um, but it, if, it, mm-hmm. if it's a concern, it a lot of times it's around public safety stuff and it's, you know, speed, you know, speeding and, 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 you know, people not stopping at stop signs by schools and things like that. Um, very specific to neighborhoods or very specific to the time of year. Um, things like, you know, streets flooding, you know, uh, come the the, kind of the first, the first uh, rains of the year when the, the gutters and and stuff haven't been cleaned out and that kind of stuff. And so, which are all, you know, things we need to know about. Right, right, right. right. Um, And so. And do you take them back? Someone stops you at Safeway? Yeah, I mean, when it's something like my streets are flooded, it's usually a text message or somebody messaging on Facebook. Right. Um, I've had people that, you know, get really frustrated that, you know, they were getting ticketed for not moving their car on a public street. Right. And it's because they've been working from home for for six months. Um, And so those, I've seen them on Facebook. I've seen them in a chat room or something like that. uh, And I forward them to the right city staff and hopefully get them resolved. Um, But, yeah, in general, people are... People are, in my opinion, they're, they're pretty happy. They like where they live. And uh, it's one of their, you know, they chose to come here for a reason yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of times. No, and, I agree. And, and they love their community. Yeah. yeah. I will say Ranch Cordova, comparatively to a lot of places I've ever lived, the the hometown pride of this yeah. community, especially if you grew up here and lived yeah. here, um, you're very defensive of this community. Yeah. I know um, we have some uh, very dedicated people that go onto Facebook. And whenever they hear people say that Ranch Cordova is not a safe community or whatever, they're, they're there to rally for right. our city no, and argue no, with I'm, them. And, I'm right there too. Yeah, and, I haven't been here very long, but in the three, four years now, I think Rancho is a spectacular yeah, city. I, I really I love do. It too. Yeah. So we're almost out of time. Um, but while you're here, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that personally interest me okay. um, about what you do. So if you'll indulge me. So as the mayor, how do you work with other city council members? So I know that the mayor position is a rotation amongst all of you in the city council, and you're all friends. But once you're the mayor, how does the relationship change in respect to your colleagues on the city council? Um, I want to say it's our city attorney that kind of coined the phrase of it, a, lead, a leader among, among equals, right. right, is being the mayor. And yeah. so I have no more authority than anybody no. else on this council to but do anything, yeah. right? Um, the, my year as mayor, usually one is I get about two or three times more emails than I do as a city council right. member. Um, and it's just, you know, one people either want to see the mayor, they want to invite the mayor to something, or they want to complain to the mayor about something. Um, and so you just tend to get a, a few more of those kind of correspondence. But in general, I think my role in working with my colleagues, um, especially my role as mayor is, uh, convening and, and, and running the meetings, uh, effectively. Uh, so that we can dispense with our work and, and accomplish things. And um, I, I think one of the big one of the bigger frustrations I had when I started on the city council um, was we would just meet on the same topic every three or four months without any closure or kind of right. decision. Um, and so I, I see my role as mayor is 
one, to facilitate a conversation and get to a, a solution, and also not let us leave a conversation without solving. Right. Do you the, set the, the agenda issue. for council meeting? How does that work? Um, in, so the mayor and the vice mayor, along with the city manager, tend to set the calendar for yeah. for what gets on the yeah. what, what what gets on the calendar. Uh, but we, as council members, for the most part, agree to put things onto our our agenda or our our, our, our calendar for the year. Um, so it normally takes three council members to right. agree to put something on the agenda, right. um, unless it's just normal, you know, uh, business of the city. So like if somebody has a, an application to build something, they have a certain time frame in which they, they're, they're supposed to get a hearing. Right. So that's not that, that's not really left up to the mayor. Right. Um, but, you know, certain policies that might come along. So years ago, we we adopted a, uh, a hen ordinance to allow people to have, egg, you know, egg laying hens in your yard, right? That's not something that's on a calendar. It's something we have to agree that we're going to put on the agenda and decide if we're going to do it or not. Uh, When we decided on, you know, a marijuana policy or not having one, frankly, um, that was something we decided to go and discuss. So So. talking about marijuana, there's no marijuana in the city of Rancho, right? You don't have shops where you can go and buy? No, we don't. We we have a... Is that a purposeful thing? um, Well, so the... We've never allowed it. You'd have to vote to create an ordinance that would allow a certain number of businesses and types and things like that. Um, And we've never gotten to the point of of authorizing that. Uh, The the city before – I want to say before I was on council. I'm pretty sure. um, They passed an ordinance – uh, to set a, a tax rate for it if we ever allowed it. Right. But we've never allowed it, so we're not collecting the tax. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the question that was really before us a few years ago was, would we allow retail within the city? Would we allow manufacturing or research? Right. Um, and to date, we haven't allowed any of that. No. And so the council would need to do it. Uh, last count, it was two two of us, I think, were supportive of allowing at least the research and manufacturing right. of it. Um, and kind of punting the, the retail to, to some other conversation, but three council members were against it. So, and um, as far as I know, we have, you know, there, there hasn't been a big push to revisit right. that conversation. How closely do you as the mayor work with the city manager and senior city hall staff? So the city manager-mayor relationship is fascinating to me because the, the city council is elected and the mayor and the city manager is appointed by the city council, but yet the city manager is the CEO of everything. Mm-hmm. So how does the mayor and the city manager work? Well, I, I, to, to me, I think I, I always kind of align it to the resources and, and the money, right? So I have to have a real job to be a city council right. member, right? And so, I mean, you can publicly look this up. I make 500 bucks a yeah. month being, a, being yeah. a mayor or a city no, council. I think that's pretty common, um, yeah. And so, you know, to run a city of 80,000 people, right. you need people there that are, yeah. that that's of their course. job, right? Yeah. And you can go look at what and our competent. city manager Yeah. And you go look what our city manager makes and, and you'll understand yeah. that's a full time job. <laughs> right. What I do is not a full time right. job. Right. Um, and so, Really, what we do as a council is we set policy, we right. set expectations, and we set goals. And then we hold, frankly, the city manager, who's really my only employee, accountable to those goals. Um, and and we set those goals in concert with the city manager, right? So we don't want to set things that he just can't accomplish, right? right. Um, but in the end of the day, my, my job as a council is adopt policies, adopt expectations, and adopt goals, and then let our, let our staff implement them. Right. I think my question is more this. So okay. you see now people who get elected in, in, in higher government, and some of them are you know, a little off the charts. So they get elected. So let's say we had someone that was elected like that to the city council, a little kooky, let's say. 
How does that person, how do they buck heads with the city manager, though, if the city manager is normal, let's say? Um, well, and so normal is relative, but about 95% of the, the governments in this country are run by professional managers, and then they right. have paraprofessionals or quasi-volunteer electeds like, like ours. Right. Um, I've seen that at the school I, in serving as a school board member and as a city council member. I have seen multiple elected officials that I've served with or just observed that just didn't understand what they got right. themselves elected exactly. to. Um, and I saw that at the school board level I, where, where I, frankly, I think a school board has even less control over their fate than a city council does. Um, they're very prescribed as to what they can do with their funding and a lot of other things. And so it's frustrating for a lot of people that think, well, I can do what I see on TV or these right. types of, or, you right. know, what, right. the show that the mayor did and he goes out right. and gives a speech and everybody does what he, what right. they, what he told them to do. Um, Daryl Steinberg doesn't do that either. Right. right? And so, um, I think that's a struggle. And you've yeah. seen that with multiple officials throughout this region that they come in thinking, I get to do this. Right. And one, you don't do anything alone. Right. To take On our council, it takes three people to decide to do right. anything. Right. Um, and even if you have three people, sometimes it's still not legal or possible to do yeah. what you wanted to do. Right. Um, and so I guess my, my philosophy or my advice to anybody that's ever deciding to, to run for office is stop, think, and, dis- and, and understand what is it that you will do if you got elected. What right. can you do? And I think you need to and, understand how yeah. it works. And, it, and it, it's a struggle. And, yeah. I, and I've seen a lot of people do it. I, I think I was blessed to, to intern and then work for some elected right. officials and yeah. observe what they did and how right. they, they did their job. Yeah. And uh, and I think learn from that to a certain extent. And then I also understood that what, you know in the first year or two in both offices that I've been elected to, whether it's council or school board, is I spent time asking questions before taking positions, right. uh, learning before I decided where I wanted to go. Right. Um, and I think that's that's hard for some people. And and if you weren't asked to do that in your career, it's hard to come in and to think, well, these thousands of people put me here. I, I, I should be able to do what I said right. I was going to do. Right, and, right. and the sad thing is, unfortunately, there's a, a lot of times, a lot of things you said you were going to do, you can't do. Can't do. Right. And you definitely can't do alone. Right. So two more questions, and then we'll get to our fun lightning round. Sure. So do you have a working relationship with the uh, Rancho Cordova Police Department as mayor? Do you speak to the chief regularly, or do you leave that to the city manager? Um, the chief of police is selected by the city manager. Right. So they're, they're um, again, it, that's a contract. So our, our chief of police is also a captain in the sheriff's department. Right. Uh, the city and, manager... Um, chooses that yeah so the sheriff uh, essentially gives the city manager uh, Some a certain number, certain number of candidates oh, okay. to interview and then okay traditionally the city manager will choose and okay. then and then uh there'll be a meeting with the mayor and the vice mayor i always wondered that because i know he's a captain he yeah. or she is a captain yeah i thought maybe they were just appointed by the sheriff's department but the city manager the city manager gets to select from a small interview. pool okay. of people that's good to know. um yeah. and so i, I will say that the, um Aside from the city manager and the city attorney, the chief of police is probably the next closest person, maybe the deputy city manager, that, that, that I interact yeah. with. Um, from a constituent standpoint, I would tell you that the vast majority of text messages and phone calls that I pass on from constituents go to the chief of police. Yeah. Uh, for but something serious happens, you're the spokesperson for the city. Um, yeah, within reason. Yeah. Um, it, a lot of things that, that are, that are, po- that are police related, yeah. uh, tend to go through the, the sheriff's department and right. the police department just in general. Yeah. Um, especially if it's personnel related, that's not something that we interact with no. really at all. 
Um, but yeah, you have. I've always had a good working relationship yeah. with all of our all of our chiefs of police. Um, but you do interact with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, and like I said, uh, the vast majority of constituent concerns that I field tend to be in the public safety area, and they tend to be emails and text messages I forward right. to the chief, like, hey, can you let me know what happened with this? Or right. can somebody follow up with so-and-so? They say that, you know, or they posted some story about their bad interaction at the police station with right. so-and-so, and, and you know. And if you ask, they respond? Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Within, within reason. And again, if it's personnel-related, it's not something that we would be involved in. So here is our last question. So do you plan on remaining in Rancho Cordova City government, or do you have higher sites in mind, either state or national level? So, so the interesting thing is, uh, I would say within three months of getting elected to the school board, and I lived in Rosemont at the time, I moved to Ranch Cordova shortly after being elected. Um, but just about within three months of getting elected to the school board, I had people ask me what, what was the next thing I was going to run for? I was one of the youngest elected officials in the, in, in the county, in the region, in, in the state. Um, and even then, I kind of joked, like, can't I just do this for now? Um, I've been a city council member now for 10 years. Um, there are some other seats for things that might come open in the next few years that I've thought about. But I will say that um, at, at this point, I can't imagine doing anything else. No. I, I love this work. I love yeah. this community. It's a lot of fun. Um, being a school board member was a very important thing, but it was hard. Um, this is this is a much easier job and it's a lot more fun job. Yeah. Um, even with, you know, some of the struggles that you have, um, it, 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 it's fun to represent people and yeah. it's fun to, you know, be able to have the resources to do the things that we've right. been able to do. Um, I'm not sure there's other jobs in politics that are going to be this good. No. Um, but I think at a certain point, the, 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 you know, I, I might end up having to ask myself what, what other things I might right. want to do. But at this point, there's nothing on the horizon. There's there's no other thing I'm running for. Well, on a on a personal level, I actually take a lot of interest in city government. It's something that interests me how a city runs, and in the three or four years I've been here, I have certainly noticed that you you're very prolific and you're very um, um, without embarrassing you. I think you're very good at what you do. I I listen to you. I watch you at council meetings and. It's obvious to me that you have a passion and you know what you're doing. So, yeah. So I definitely here. love this. I think I think I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, I mean, the last ten years have been really enjoyable. I would yeah. say the, the last couple of years during a pandemic has been, it's been a little tougher. I think people are just a little more frustrated in general and with right. the world. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I don't. I couldn't imagine myself being a school board member anymore if you no. look at what they put up with yeah. when it comes to masks and yeah, vaccines yeah. and it's everything. It's incredible. So, I've, I've watched some of those. Whoa, yeah. It's and crazy. So, so that's definitely not a role I, I, I would envy ever having again. But right. there are some other jobs that someday might intrigue me. But right. at this point, yeah, I, I'm not thinking about okay. anything else. All right. So we always end these podcasts with a lightning round of questions. They're fun questions. Great. So what is one word that best describes you? Tenacious. Tenacious. I agree. If you could be one person for a day beside yourself, who would it be and why? Hmm. I mean, Donald Trump comes to mind and maybe, you know, have him release his tax. I'd release all my taxes and yeah. stuff. Maybe that'd be fun. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, 
I'm always very thankful of my life and what I've been able to accomplish. And I just um, there's nothing I, wrong with saying you. Yeah, yeah. I, I I love me and being yeah. me and yeah, my yeah. family nothing and wrong everything with that. else. So, yeah, I like, agree with you. But but if I could get a hold of Donald Trump's taxes, yeah, that might be that really be fun. fun right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your biggest pet peeve? Apathy. Um, whether I'm visiting schools or anything else, like one of the things I I love to quiz, especially high school students on, because there's just there, there's always been um, this struggle with me, especially with high school students around this idea that you should know a lot of stuff, right? That you're a know-it-all, you're always answering questions and things like that. And I, I love going into classrooms and trying to just get kids to like, I can ask you anything, just raise your hand and give me the right answer. And I could do things like, when was the War of 1812? And just wait to see if a kid's finally going to raise their right. hand. Like, I gave you the right. answer. If, right. you're, if you're listening at all, right. you should at least raise your hand. Right. And so, uh, to me, like, it just drives me nuts of people that just don't care. Or right. think that, you know, they can't do anything in their community. That this is just how so, this community right. is going to be. So just let it float along. Yeah. And yeah. so, I've, just, I've never been like that. Yeah. I've never thought, like, I, I just give up. Right. Um, well, that's so, why you're doing what you're yeah. doing. And so, yeah. my, my biggest pet peeve are people that just don't care. Okay. Do you have any hidden talents? Um, remember everybody's listening. City Hall. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I necessarily no, do. No, I, no. I I think um, no. I, I'm a pretty open book. I yeah. mean, I, I was pretty good at at sports in in high school and other things like that. But I don't think there's anything that that I've ever hidden from anybody that right. I, that I'm still doing very well. Like I I don't play any instruments anymore. <laughs> uh, what What project are you working on today that you can't stop thinking about? I'm really excited about what what we've been calling our civic center, but it's uh, at some point we're going to come up with a better name for it because it's more than just yeah. that. It's it's a, it's a redevelopment project in in the heart of our city in in on Folsom Boulevard, um, and I'm really excited Sorry, about that project. Yeah. And and it and what's really been interesting, especially in the last year or so, is going from the conceptual phase to really like what it's going to be. The number of partners that have been attracted to that project has been really exciting. Um, and I think, you know, the, the affordable housing developments that, that we have going in the city, um, you know, we, we have a very promising, you know, concept right now around veteran housing out by, uh, yeah. by the VA that I think yeah. is really, really yeah. um, exciting for yeah. us as a community. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I think in fact, what, your what, answer to that question is exactly the same as the city managers. Yeah. 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 What, what is going on? What is the timeline for that? Or is for the veteran housing? No, no. The oh, the community center. center? Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we're starting construction next year. Next year? Um. And then it'll be two years? Probably. So three years? So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to come in phases because you have the community center, but then you have the housing components, and that's really two different kinds of housing stock. Then we're also dealing with the community college that has three other buildings yeah. within the vicinity, one of which they're, they're working on, they're going to build in right. the next two years or so. Um, mainly because they got more students than they ever expected because of our promise program. Right. Therefore, they're moving forward with the next building right. 10 years before they expected right. to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I would imagine we start next year, finish in maybe 2025 yeah. would be, I think, the To goal. me, that's the most exciting yeah. project. And then and I guess the other thing I would, I'm really, really excited that's going to probably happen – within weeks is our youth center is going to open. Yeah. So our new boys and girls club right. and, and police activities league yeah. center. And we're actually, uh, I don't know if you know, but we're actually doing a program with PAL. 
Excellent. Um, we're going to teach the kids how to make PSAs. Nice. That are of, of interest to them. That's fantastic. I, yeah. I know my son down in, in, in the Anatolia area, so he goes to Sunrise Elementary. He won a SIVA last year, which oh. is, uh, um, I can't remember what that stands for, but it, he did a PSA yeah. With the TV station at, a, right. at his school, and he yeah. won the best PSA of his of his um, at, at a certain age. age uh, making or, or teaching kids how to do it makes them think yeah. of what's important to them, and then you know they'll say something. But then when they actually come to do it, it's there's a lot of thought, and then we'll show them how to film it, yeah. how to edit it, and. And all that. That's fantastic. Yeah. And we, we have a very robust program at one of our schools yeah. in, in the Elk Grove Unified yeah, area yeah. Of, of the city. So last question, which I've realized is a very unfair question to ask uh, a politician. But what is your favorite restaurant in Rancho Cordova? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, for a special occasion, special place to eat, I think Rudy's Lobster House is... Yeah probably the best place to get a steak or to get lobster, obviously, right, in, in right. the city. Um, I'm a big fan of Ida Pita yeah. uh, in the Greek place over yeah. um, uh, in the shopping center by City Hall. Um, but for the money and for everything, Rudy's is probably yeah. the best. Okay. The, best place to, to eat in town. Linda Budge had a great answer. She said all of them. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I could give you a hundred answers right. to that questions of things I like, yeah. but if I like, if somebody just said like, what, what's the one I, Rudy's is, is up there. Uh, but I could give you burger. I am and a bunch of other yeah. ones that I just love to eat at all right. the time. Go for pizza. Um, uh, really enjoy, um, I'm trying to think of the name, uh, the firehouse, uh, crawfish place is fantastic. Yeah. The new roosters is fantastic. These are all in Rancho. All right? in Rancho. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, love, Mr. love brunch out at uh, uh, Mimosa House yeah. or Brookfield. Well, listen, thank you very much. I know you're a very busy guy, and that's all we have time for. Mr. Mayor, thank you very much, and especially for being one of the first guests on this new podcast. Um, Thanks for so, having me. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to the Rancho Cordova podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please follow us and leave us a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Also, please visit our website at www.ranchocordovapodcast.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, please send us a message via the website. And until next time, this is your host, Charles Lego.